Welcome to Athcast Music, the music of Athens, Georgia, now and then. My name is Marlene Sokol Stewart, and this is my podcast. I have to say that doing this podcast has been an awakening for me, not just for Athens music, but for really what this town is and has become to me. It has been a remarkable experience for me, and I hope to continue this for a long time, actually. So I'm really excited about the guests that I'm going to be talking to today. My next guests, Noah and Mocha Johnson, are a dynamic duo who have made immense contributions to the Athens, Georgia community through their work as activists, musicians, songwriters, event producers, marketers, PR specialists, educators, and even politicians, not to mention their husband and wife. A unique story and journey to meeting each other is just one part of how Noah and Mocha have built a huge presence in Athens by promoting social change, diversity, and equality for the people of color and multi-international cultures. Through elevating their goals to extraordinary heights and consistently meeting them, they continue to push for progress. In our conversation, we discuss their music, how they started the Athens anti-discrimination movement, and how they have grown the hip-hop annual awards each year. While there is really not enough time to cover everything, I am thrilled to have Noah and Mocha on Athcast Music to share their knowledge, convictions, and beliefs to make Athens a more diverse and inclusive town culturally, musically, and politically. So let's get down to it. Welcome, Noah and Mocha, to Athcast Music. I am so happy to have you here today. I met Noah first, but mm-hmm. I think I talked to you first, actually, <laughs> without knowing any of this connection. I was having breakfast with Troy Aubrey at the Flying Biscuit here in town, and we were kind of hugging goodbye and saying goodbye in the parking lot. And I see Noah walking by, and I'm saying, oh, you know, hey, you know, kind of thing. You know, just I say hi to a lot of people. But then Troy goes, hey, man, how are you? And they're hugging and shaking <laughs> hands. And I'm like, okay. Troy knows a lot of people, too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Troy says, oh, my gosh, you two need to know each other. And we started talking then mm-hmm. and, and figuring out, whoa, something has to happen here. This, 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 uh, this connection is, is, is too close. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I just, and we, we tried to get together for coffee and stuff, but what happened was in harmony. And I'll talk about that in a second. But when we were going back and forth, you said, I believe Mocha has called you for insurance, which was my day job up until this year, uh, the end of this year. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I have her name written down in my book. So I didn't even know that I'd talked to your wife a while ago before I met you. So it was uh, okay, this is getting for real now. I have to, well, first of all, I have so many questions and I know we can't get through them all, but I'm going to try and let you guys lead the conversation because you've done so many talks, you've done so many um writing and and producing and 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 people ask you i think probably the same relevant questions a lot of time 
So I want, really want to try to pull some of the different things out. Let's start with how you two met before all of this happened. <laughs> I'll let him tell the story. He's, he tells the story pretty well. And irony behind us meeting, has, it's been interesting. Um, do you want to start? Yes. First, I'd like to thank Marlene for finally scheduling this and getting us here. It's been something that's been um, destined to come and in the making. You're welcome. Okay, I'm going to try to make this short. <laughs> so, you know, we look at each other as soulmates because um, so many things have happened that it seemed like they basically led us to our meeting and to our union. So for me, I would say it starts back when I was a... Um, independent artist in Orlando, going around helping other artists record. A friend of mine and myself used to rent hotel rooms and artists that used to book us for studio sessions and we would record them in the hotel rooms overnight and they would leave with their music. So this one particular time we were um, recording these artists and they needed help making a hook, which is a chorus for the song. And I heard the music and I came up with a hook and they wanted me to record it, so I recorded it for them. We finished the session, and time passed. Just say about two months passed by, and they were trying to contact me, and they finally made contact with me, and they told me that the song that we had did together that night was in the top ten on the underground radio station, and people were calling us about shows. So at this point, I went to do a show. The first show I went to do with them at this show, I could see there was this young lady walking around with a clipboard and her hair wrapped in a scarf, and... She was basically the one that was in, in charge of this event. I didn't get to meet her that night, but, you know, it, the, her image stayed in my head. And I remembered, you know, that she seemed like the one that was, you know, organizing the event. So years passed after that. Nothing happened with that. Years passed. I was um, engaged. My fiancé one day, I got off from work. Let's say this might have been about five years later. Wow. My fiancé got, I got off from work. She was picking me up from work one day and... She had a newspaper in her hand and she was like, baby, baby, you need to get with this girl. I was just reading this article. This is, you need to meet this girl. Like y'all have this, you doing music, she's throwing shows. I think y'all have a lot in common. So even then I, I didn't move on that situation. And um, let's say time passed again. I'm gonna shorten this down now. Time passed, I was, um, had got laid off a job I was on. There was this guy that owned the internet radio station that wanted me to come down and start to do an internet radio show in order to promote my group. So since I was unemployed at the time, I went down and started putting time into trying to start this radio show. And was this still in Orlando? Still yeah. in Orlando. Okay. Mm -hmm. And at the time, um, he liked the way that the, the work ethic that I had putting together this radio show. And he asked me to basically become the program director of this internet radio station which I started doing that and still continue to work on my show. So while I'm working on my show, called it, I called it a six o'clock grind. And this was rewind, rewindmusic.com was the name of the station. I wanted to interview um, Mocha for um, my radio show because she was a, she had put out a DVD around town, just a pro project she decided to do on her own. And she put like four independent artists on there that was starting to, gain traction. So that was a project you were working on? You yeah. put this DVD, um, I've DVD always together? Been to, you know, a lot of people don't know, but I'm a music artist myself. I do reggae music. I write. 
And um, so I became a mother at a young age. So I, I decided to go behind scenes. And in doing that, you know, I was doing promotions and I became well known in my community as a female promoter. And so at the time when he met me, I was working on a project called Chocolate City Live DVD magazine. It was thinking of an innovative way of having independent artists from the South, you know, kind of... Um, a platform for them to share their music. And I had access to like celebrity interviews. So I would put the independent artists in between the celebrity concerts interviews. So it would give them exposure, but I was like by myself. And so, you know, um, Noah was doing Rewind Radio Station. So there was, it was like an underground movement of independent people doing different things in the music scene. And we were able to connect with each other that way. And I must say, I got to go back a little bit. Before that radio station, my fiance had actually passed. Oh, I'm so sorry. Yes, she actually passed. And I I started to get more involved in my music and um, just going harder in it. And I ended up working with um, maybe second season of American Idol. There was a, a young lady, Vanzel Solomon, out of South Florida, who made it to like the top three or top two. So after that, you know, I started working on my music and just going harder on my music. And then I ended up at the radio station. So now, fast forward, I'm, I'm about to go interview Mocha for my radio show. And when I went to interview her, she started pulling out different articles that had been written about her over the years. And um, one of the papers that she pulled out was the same paper that my fiance had in the car that day, saying that this is the girl you need to meet. So when I saw that- That's when you, like- just totally ignored fate. <laughs> he, he ignored fate then too, because um, I don't know. Because what happened was, I saw that, and I I just felt like it was something that we were we were meant to do something together. I wasn't sure. She showed me this um idea she had for a newsletter that she used to do back in the day, and um I was um, moved by that idea. I was like, I like this idea because this is something I had thought about like doing for his marketing. You know, putting out a newsletter covering things that I was concerned about and just pressing it up and putting it out in the, in the streets. So once I saw that, after that interview I did with her, the next day I came back with a whole new newsletter and came up to her beauty salon and presented it to her without her knowing that I was going to work on that idea. We began working together. And so as a female in the music industry, you know, at times, like if I'm working with you or that type of thing, I'm usually not trying to engage in a relationship with you per se. But over time, a time period, Noah and I became really good friends. We became really good, I always say, um, business partners, working in the industry. Then it evolved to where we were friends. And it was just like one day a light bulb just came on to where I just saw him differently. And, you know, I tell people sometimes the person that you're looking for is right in front of you. And you'll oh, miss well, I know it. that one. And you'll miss it. You'll <laughs> miss it because I had gone through, you know, at the time I'm I'm a single mother of four. I did own a beauty salon and I'm trying to still do this entertainment music thing. So I was more introverted and not really open to like certain relationships. So he was around me for quite some time. I thought and it was still in Orlando. It's still in Orlando. And I even remember, you know, other females would see him and be like, hey, who's that guy? I'd be like, yeah, go ahead and talk to him. He's a nice guy. He's a pretty nice guy. And him and I had partnered up and we decided to do a concert. Was it Fort? Was it Fort Myers? Fort Myers? So there was an artist named Papa Duck at the time and we decided to do a concert in Fort Myers. So him and I went on the road together 
And when we went to the, <laughs> when we went on a road together, I think in those moments of grinding and we're hustling and working together, that's where our union was really solidified to where we're like, oh, it, this might be more than just a working relationship type thing. So that's how we evolved into eventually being together. You, you had so many things colliding and coinciding during this development of this relationship. Do you think that would have happened? Because that's a feat into itself to, yeah. to develop the relationship. Mm -hmm. But now you're doing all of these things together mm -hmm. and you're developing this relationship right alongside them. Mm -hmm. Do you think those things helped develop your relationship faster, stronger? I would say no. I think it helped to develop our business. Um, like as far as like me doing the DVD magazine and being a single mom and then being able to partner up with somebody that I could trust. And and then so he had ideas, I had ideas. We were able to work together on those ideas, which I think like um, I, I know we're a powerhouse together because we're able to pull off large scale, not just events, but production wise, just as both of us putting our minds together and being able to respect each other's spaces, him re being able to respect me as a boss. I consider myself as a boss woman, an independent woman. And sometimes that um, is intimidating to other men and they don't give you that space to really elevate. And so I finally found somebody that was willing to walk with me. I was willing to walk with him, I, whether it's in front, side, or back. Whatever you, whatever it is, we're playing that role and part for each other. And so I believe business-wise, it helped our business to, to elevate. And the fact for me, the reason that our relationship is so strong and it works, I truly believe that it's because we allowed ourselves to be friends first. I didn't see him as somebody that I was going to, because I had all these rules. So because of the rules that I had, I didn't, I wouldn't put him in a place of my mate or somebody like, he's a great guy and I'm giving him away. Like he's a great guy. And so, um, but the friendship, being able to be friends with him, go on the road with him, seeing him in work environment, seeing how he engaged with other women, not just because he was trying to impress me or something, that was his natural way of being. So um, the friendship is what makes our relationship stronger, I would think. And then being able to um, respect our friendship and respect each other, I would say, um, secret power or whatever that you bring to the table is what makes everything works. Well, it is quite amazing. And I actually, when I went to In Harmony, which I had never been to, mm -hmm. and please, dear God, don't ever stop it. <laughs> please. Oh. I cried mm -hmm. the whole time. Oh, wow. I was raised in Jersey. I was raised in a 60% black school and high school and during my education and developed many very good multi-racial, I mean, you know, cultures and besides black, but, you know, mostly black people were in my school. And I always felt a kindred spirit. I watched you that night. I have notes in my phone, as a matter of fact, from that night, because I didn't want to forget anything. Mm -hmm. Once I saw what was happening, then I knew I had to make sure I documented what I saw. 
Wow. And I do that a lot now. Mm-hmm. And that podcast, that's one of the things that this podcast has, has taught me mm-hmm. is to document, to write about it, whether it's a good writing or not. I'm not a great writer. So, <laughs> but watching in harmony and you got, you Mocha, you could see that you had done a lot of work on this. Mm-hmm. Not that you hadn't, mm-hmm. but she, she, you could see her backstage working her thing, doing mm-hmm. her thing. To put the people that you put together in that show was brilliant. I didn't know almost any of them. I didn't know the band. Mm -hmm. Um, That's part of my problem about being in Athens, and this is why this problem has led me to this podcast, Mm -hmm. is because there's a lot of people in Athens, but in the whole country and whatever, whoever listens to it, that don't really know what's happening here. Right. This brought tears to my eyes because it was so collaborative and such a great mix. I will tell you that it was hard not to sob Mm. during Laura Valentine. Mm -hmm. And was it Rhonda Don? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. 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 I will never forget that. In mm-hmm. fact, I had to go up to her after the performance because, one, I didn't really – I knew who her husband was, mm-hmm. but I didn't ever really know that she was a singer and evidently that she hadn't sung for a while, mm-hmm. ha- right? Correct. Mm-hmm. <sighs> and she came out from this voice that was so angelic and so strong and so perfect. I mean right. – and then him balancing mm-hmm. off of that with this strong, not really baritone, but very mm-hmm. low mm-hmm. voice. And uh, my friend was just kind of looking at me like, <laughs> are I you mean, okay? It made me cry too. That event makes me cry too. But I will say that is a seriously collaborative effort, that event that you see. And that event is produced by Pat Priest. And it's produced by Noah and I. And how that event works out is because Noah and I do the Hip Hop Awards and we do urban events, we have access to a lot of African-American artists or cultural, that community, to where I would say the white part of Athens or the white music scene doesn't see. They don't see these people because they're two different worlds. I'm raising my hand right here. (laughs) Right, right. And so, and then what we see also when him and I are doing our events, we see the same artists um, is being put on the bill. And we're like, there's a lot of artists like African-American talented that's born, raised from Athens that should be recognized. And, And Rhonda Don is one of them. He's been here. Marco Hull, Deidre Stroud, There's a lot of talented people. So Pat, so we're not in the white world per se, music world. We know what's going on over there, but Pat Priest is the one that picks out the artists from that, from that. I met her that night too. So she picks out the artists from that world and we pick out the artists from the African-American diaspora type world. And then, so traditionally we, we take all the names and we put them in like a bucket or something. And then we pick it out and we match people up together. And so the blessing has been the fact that, you know, you know, while I'm still running the org and doing all these 
beautiful things. Noah and Pat are like working out the details. But then when it's the day of the show, then that's where I come in even more heavy with the lights, camera, action, with the hosting and stuff like that. Well, I read one of your interviews, you were saying that your specialty is making sure you have the right people mm-hmm. in place. So how did you meet Pat and come together with this? A lot of people that we have have met, you know, it's through the activist. Well, it's not a lot of people. It's either through the hip hop awards type stuff, this community stuff. So we had a huge protest one year. or We have multiple protests yes. and that's been very big. But um, I, we jumped into activism in 2000, towards the end of 2015 and 2016. So from 2016 all the way up until 2017, we was marching, showing up at City Hall, doing all these things. And we had a big protest. It was, I think it was Philandro Castell, if I said the name right, but he had got shot and killed by the police. And we had a protest. Pat came to the protest. She saw me speak at the protest and she was like, hey, I have a good, I have an idea I would like to present to you. Now, I would say this, like when she came to me with the idea about Athens and Harmony and pairing black and white musicians and all these people together. And there were so many people like coming to him and I saying, hey, we have an idea. We think this could help what y'all are trying to do. I was like, you know, I don't know about this. Like, we going to pair a black and white musician. Like, I don't know about this, you know, and I don't know you, you know. So I was still <laughs> like, <laughs> and so I was a little bit standoffish. But one of the models that I had said that year is step outside your comfort zone. Nothing is going to change until we step outside our comfort zone, begin to conversate and challenge each other perspectives and beliefs or whatever the case may be, but step outside your comfort zone and let's start having a conversation. So being that I was putting that out there so much, I fell into the same rules. Like, okay, she's coming to something that I've never done before. She's bringing something to the table that I've never done before. She's asking me to, you know, for us to partner up. And I remember going home and telling my husband, like, I don't know about this, but what do you think? You know, type thing. So... Amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. Actually, prior to that, we met Pat when we did that event with Judith, Judith McWillie. Um, she was a, a professor at UGA, retired, and somehow she came to us and she had an idea of throwing an event at a plantation out in Colbert. So this is like, this this blew our mind, like a plantation. And she, she put this guy, James... <laughs> James Smith on our radar. I know, I know what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, she put him on our radar and... Yeah, we did, we did a libation ceremony. I, I, I go for joy rides. Mm-hmm. Like I'll take a Sunday afternoon drive, sometimes on Saturday. Mm-hmm. You know, um, that kind of thing. I love that. It clears my head. It it just lets me absorb nothing mm-hmm. and everything mm-hmm. at the same time. And I came to that and I stopped and I'm like, what the hell is this? Yeah. And I started reading the signs and how those places got built and who was using, you know, who they used to build them. And mm-hmm. yeah. I was like, oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. So I know what you speak of. What's what's interesting to me about what you're saying here is like Pat and some of these other quote unquote white people mm-hmm. saw what was happening. Mm-hmm. They knew already because they they're like me. They don't see why these things can't happen. Mm-hmm. Why Why are they not happening? It just made perfect sense to them. Mm-hmm. Maybe not to you immediately because 
you again, it, a lot of times it's a trust it's issue. It's a trust issue, yeah. So and, even when Judith came to us and she's trying to have us do an event, you know, she they see us marching and protesting. They see the rallies and the numbers that we're able to draw. They understand the messages, building, you know, breaking our racial barriers, unity, different. They understand, but still there is a trust issue. And I've never met these people before. So... When when Pat came to that particular event, I don't even remember, like, I remember seeing her vaguely, you know, at, as one of the attendees, mm -hmm. but um, not somebody that I that I spoke to and, and got to know at that period of time. Yeah, we didn't meet her. She actually presented that idea to Judith, and Judith recommended that she reach out to us. Okay. Wow. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So... <laughs> Okay, so one of these things, these events, these protests, mm -hmm. led to the AADM, the Athens Anti-Discrimination Movement. Yes, yes. And um, I, I do remember this. I just had moved here. Mm -hmm. I was here maybe a year and a half when all that was going on, but I remembered it. I really wasn't a real downtown person yet. I was trying to go around and get to know the restaurants and the bars and things like that. Um, but I really wasn't a downtown person like I am now. And you talked about the drink. Mm -hmm. What the hell was in that drink to call it that? I have, I mean, to my understanding, I heard it was watermelon mixed with different type of liquor or whatever the case may be, but they decided they wanted to call it General Bogard. At the time, they changed the name. Um, I think they just call it General now. But yeah, it was a drink called Nicarita. I... <laughs> yeah, that's how Simply I was. because <laughs> of watermelon. The old stupid asinine <laughs> adage that or opinion that people had about black people in the South mm -hmm. for no other reason. So without saying names, what kind of bar was it? Was it a frat bar? Was it? Yeah. I would say yeah. that's who mostly frequent the bar. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. From what we heard from hearsay, um, that it was fraternity type of lead bar, you know, well, that's I, they catered I, to I've that. I've been by there more than once, so it's not just hearsay with me. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm adding the extra hearsay. I stay away from that you know side of the... I mean? So you know what side of town, <laughs> yeah. because there's a side of town that we we end up learning that is like townies and non-townies. Exactly. And stay away from the non-townie side. And that's where all the, the police are walking the streets as yeah, well. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. And crazy things happen, I would say. Well, so, so that started... A protest. Mm -hmm. Yes. And it started you saying to the city, what, what are you the hell, do? what are you going to do? I'm mm -hmm. like, where do I live? You know what I mean? And, you know, if it wasn't for Noel, I would have probably left. I wouldn't have fought. I would have left I, because I was like, okay, we're entrepreneurs. We came here. We already see that there's kind of, um, when it came to downtown venues, they weren't really allowing us to do our thing. And when it comes to hip hop, it was Max Canada was the first, one of the first spots. Max Canada and World Famous were the two spots that catered to us. And so- Max, as, the, the pool tables and everything. Yeah, but Paloma it, now. It's called Paloma I now. know, I know. Mm -hmm. I was so mad. I loved shooting pool. Mm -hmm. So it's not, so, so- Yes, we missed that spot, but those were the two 
spots that allowed us to do hip hop shows or different things of that sort or welcomed us where we didn't feel like, oh, we have to jump through hoops. And we're already business people that were established before we moved here in the hip hop entertainment industry. So we're just trying to do the same thing here that we did other places. Makes sense. And so when when the niggerita drink thing came out, I've never protested before. He's never pro we weren't in activism. We're into music. So I said, okay, um, I think we need to go. You know, and he's like, I'm not going. He likes he likes the town. And so we decided to stay and fight, you know, because I was like, well, if we're going to say we got to do something. And go. we did something and came and out of it is the Athens anti-discrimination movement. And were us. you already doing the hip hop awards? Yeah, we were already doing the hip hop awards. Everything was about. It was the third annual, annual year mm-hmm. of the hip hop awards, probably. Mm-hmm. So we had been doing that three years yes. before mm-hmm. that. I didn't even know about him until mm-hmm. this podcast when I really started paying attention mm-hmm. because I was working. I was working and hard and I'm creating a business just like you guys. Mm-hmm. And I was immersing myself in the business, even though I had been in te- live television, produced, you know, all kinds of stuff and music business before I got here. I thought I'd come here and do music and didn't work out. So I was immersing myself into the business world. Mm-hmm. I really didn't know what was going on. And when I started saying, it's time for me to find out, I never really left my love, like you guys, Mm -hmm. of music and talking about music. And I have a husband who is a historian by nature Mm -hmm. and (laughs) has vinyl, you know, everywhere. And them you know, two need to meet because oh, I oh. can't. I was like, <laughs> like it, I was like, you need to go teach I'm a music show you class a picture. or something because <laughs> this, this, it's crazy. Yeah, they need to talk. It's crazy, okay? <laughs> but it's his life. Mm-hmm. It's the history of his life. It's the history of our lives. Mm-hmm. We met at a record store and worked in record stores together. So I mean, we were partners with someone in South Carolina, North Carolina for twenty years. Mm. And they were called Sounds Familiar. We had a blast. We had good stores, too. It was a lot of fun. Things, you know, change drastically in during some of the changes in retail and some of the changes in the digital and mm-hmm. process and all that kind of stuff. But I didn't, I didn't know about the. And then I'm, I'm thinking about this podcast. I'm starting to try and pick my guests. And I'm not really sure who to pick first. So I'm really just picking people that I've talked to about it and things like that. Mm -hmm. And then I come about the hip hop awards and I couldn't go. I was sick. Mm. I wanted to be there. And I kept on saying to my husband, I need to be there. I need to be there. And I went to the Vic Chestnut Awards. I never went to those before. Mm -hmm. Never knew they were there. Mm -hmm. So many things that I'm used to knowing about, I didn't know. Mm -hmm. And... I even looked on the Hip Hop Awards. I was looking at, let me see if I can pull this up. But meanwhile, how did the Hip Hop Awards start? Well, basically, when we came into town, like Mocha said, we were already in the industry. We had been down in Gwinnett for two and a half years. We co-owned a magazine and we were, you know, helping to put people on the magazine, like the Futures. and What magazine? I lived in Duluth for 23 years. It was called Flyer Our Promo Now Magazine. Flyer Promo Now Magazine. So, ATL. Yeah. Because we had branches in Savannah, New York, Orlando. Oh, wow. Orlando's where it started from, where we were living before, and then it branched out from there. 
how did that come to be? And you, you, you know, pretty the much hip-hop awards. The hip-hop yeah. awards. Mm-hmm. Okay, so when we got to Athens, um, we knew we wanted to continue doing what we were doing, working with artists, shows, media, different things like that. And we wanted to figure out the best way to um, find out the interior and the texture of the town when it comes to artists and performers and DJs and, you know, just having a, a industry. So we saw something happen in Orlando where while we were grinding there, this is all before, you know, independent artists in the city started really getting paid shows and being able to sell their music locally. There was a hip hop awards that came to our town and it kind of shook us up, you know, because the person that put it on wasn't from there. So you had some people that were concerned that they weren't, they wasn't going to get exposure because they didn't know who this guy was. And then you had the people that were the status quo, the people that was already on the radio and that part of that, you know, FM radio click yeah. who kind of went right towards it to make sure that they were recognized in this show before it, before it happens. And um, so we thought that would be something good. It did, it did great for the city for us putting a, a platform up that people can be recognized for and kind of like a hierarchy of who was like really grinding, who was really making noise and who was really hot. So it gave us like this, you know, this, this community it franchised us for us the underground Orlando so we wanted to do the same thing here and kind of start a fire just to draw people out and to also recognize what was already here before us, to recognize the people who had already did work and, you know, that were considered legends in town. Well, I was, I was, I can't find the whole uh, picture right mm-hmm. now. I thought I had put it in my photos, but um, I read all of the names. Mm-hmm. I think I knew two people. Yeah. That's from this year? From, I mean, from last year. 2023, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's what made me say, I need to be there. I need I need to see this. And because, one, I have a son, Lord. <laughs> he has been into hip-hop and, you know, just the whole rapping thing and EDM. And I don't, you know, when mm-hmm. he was in high school, you know, going to raves and all these things. And he, he just sent me... Um, a recording that his first, or I don't know, he was working in the Air Force in Germany mm-hmm. and he and his buddies had some downtime and they put this rap thing together and it wasn't bad. I mean, okay. it wasn't really bad. And and he's always wanted to learn how to DJ and scratch. He's like, mom, tell me if you've got any of the, you know, old hip hop stuff that I can, you know, start practicing and just mm-hmm. playing around with because he has always loved that. And, so I've heard a lot of mm-hmm. hip hop. Not to mention, I when I worked for Koch Entertainment, we had a, our label Koch, mm-hmm. and we did a lot of one-offs mm-hmm. for rappers. I mean, <laughs> yeah, Fifty Cent. You know, I mean, all kinds of rappers during that day. Mm-hmm. Not to mention the ones we had on other labels. So I'm one of those people who are kind of open to all kind of music, and there's some rap I. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, mm-hmm. not going to work for me. Mm-hmm. But then, like, I'm walking down the street about a month ago, going to Flickr Bar, mm-hmm. and I hear this chick rapping. And I thought it was at Paloma, but there's a little bar next to Paloma or something. Mm-hmm. Oh, right in between the iron, yeah. the iron yeah. factory, mm-hmm. that's what it's called? Yeah, well, it's not that anymore. It's the taco place now. Mm. It got shut down. They oh. shut down about... Two months ago, and now there's a real bright taco place. Oh, which 
That's where Cameron and I went. Um, But I stopped and I, she was great. (laughs) I loved her. And I asked the girl, who is this? You know, and I think her name was P.P. Peppa, P.E.P.E. It began, it was two short vowels, I mean, two short letters. And they were Probably singing. We haven't met, huh? They were singing. I don't. I can't remember. I should, again, I should. I think maybe I did write it down. Probably did actually in my notes. But um, I said to them, you know, she's from Athens, and you know, and everything. But there probably was maybe thirty people there. Mm-hmm. But they were all singing her songs, and they were all up and dancing. Mm. And I stayed for a while, mm. listening. Because I thought it was great. And Athfest, I also made it a point to go listen to some of the hip-hop stuff. Mm-hmm. And I've been to World Famous to mm-hmm. listen to some of the hip-hop stuff. Mm-hmm. Because I have a friend who, her and her husband really enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Somebody who I never would have thought that enjoyed some that, that type of music. but And she's always telling me, come out and listen with me. Come out and listen with me. We actually kind of have the same kind of uh, attitude towards music. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We we actually see ourselves as like filling a void with the hip hop awards because, you know, Athens is supposed to be a music town and there's no presence of any urban, Latin, no music from marginalized communities. Even when you look back on the documentaries that were done on Athens about the music scene in the 70s, there's no minorities in these documentaries. So we felt like um, it can't be a vibrant music town if everyone that's represented in the town is not being represented in the music scene. So that's why we wanted to focus on, you know, highlighting those urban artists, giving them platforms. Cause you know, at the time we came in town, hip hop was like a dwindling scene. There was really no open mics that was vibrant. None of that was happening. So we kind of came back and rejuvenated the scene. You know, Athfest didn't have any hip hop or urban artists on it. Flagpole Award didn't have categories for urban artists at all. So or what they had at the time, it was like, this is hip hop. You know what I mean? It was like, come on. I know they're they're relevant in a sense of the music that they do, but it's like There's so much more. Yeah, there's so much more. And it was like a niche. So it's like it's it's what downtown is comfortable with when it came to hip hop. But it's not like you're really covering hip hop. And the hip hop award, let me say this. The hip hop award is celebrating the hip hop culture. So some people will be like, what is, you know, we have a gospel category. We have an R&B category. We have um, clothing stores, beauty salons. They'll be like, what does that got to do with hip hop? Hip hop is a culture. It is a lifestyle. People go to the club on Saturday in Atlanta and they'll be in church on Sunday. Okay. They will be in church on Sunday. Some of the best gospel singers y'all see sitting standing in the pew was just listening to the favorite rap album before they came to church. Where did you go to go get your hair done, to go to the concert, to go to church? So it's a culture that we're celebrating that we try to highlight here in Athens. That was something that I noticed when I was reading it, That I because I wasn't there. And I glanced through the winners, but... I was kind of mad that I didn't go, so I, you know, kind of wasn't really paying attention and realized later that, yes, you have to pay attention. And I think that's exactly right, that it is a culture and Mm -hmm. it is where people have learned how to do many things that are not taught in schools, just like checkbooks and, you know, Mm -hmm. those little things. But Mm -hmm. it it showed people how to go ahead and be brave Mm -hmm. and try it. 
It showed people how people made it. What did they do? Mm-hmm. There's no business school, you know, that uh, they knew in high school or anything like that. Just really like white people. But but what what you're saying to me, what I find so freaking crazy is the Morton Theater. Mm-hmm. The Morton Theater is what made actually Athens a musical mecca. Mm-hmm. It was the first place that black people could come Mm -hmm. and listen to this music in the South. Mm -hmm. I mean, think about some of the people who came here. Mm -hmm. Ella Fitzgerald, Benny Goodman, Duke Ellington. I mean, they came here. Cap Calloway, a lot of them. (laughs) That's what the history of the Hot Corner Mm -hmm. is about. Mm -hmm. That's what that mural, that incredibly beautiful mural is about. Mm -hmm. How did that go away? Did the civil rights really just take that away? Well, hmm. being that we had to learn about the history of Athens, so we wasn't aware of none of that stuff. But, you know, when we come into a community, we definitely want to know what's going on before we start moving around and, you know, make sure we're not stepping on toes or doing some of the same things that are already being done. And, um, yeah, we learned about the Morton Theater and its history and Pinklinton Morton. Pink, Pink Morton? Yeah. Yeah. But um, and Hot Corner and how vibrant, you know, that whole community was there. And we always felt like it was great to do a a festival every year. But we definitely would like to see more, um, you know, things to where like um, job training and support for minority businesses and things that that would help actually make another Hot Corner. You know, that's we would like to see that and not just celebrating the past. So do you see the Hip Hop Awards being turned into a little bit of a fundraiser to fund those kind of things? Or mm. is it already doing it? Well, right now what we're doing is just trying to make sure that we have a, for as the Hip Hop Awards itself, um, just trying to make sure that we have a present and we have activities in town for minorities and not have to have to run to Atlanta all the time just to um, to be in spaces where we're the majority. You know, yeah, we just want to make sure that we have those platforms and we make sure, you know, with that comes the responsibility of doing research to see the next generation of artists. You know, mm-hmm. right now, the Hip Hop Awards, the people that were on the Hip Hop Awards ballots the first year that we did it, now their kids are on the ballots. So we're seeing this transition and we're seeing them showing up to support their kids and mm-hmm. and passing on, you know, the idea that this is a place that, you know, you can go and get exposure, you can get seen. It's the biggest platform in the in the city for urban artists, for hip-hop, R&B, gospel. And it's beautiful because it's the one place that in the um, minority community where the church crowd is going to be in the same room with the club crowd, Mm -hmm. in the same room with the gospel artists and Mm -hmm. the Mm hip-hop artists. There's nothing else in town that brings all us together like that besides our other event, which is the The Athens MLK Parade and Music Festival. Which, Well, let's talk about the MLK Parade. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, because didn't that come out of that first AADM mm-hmm. protest? Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. so how how does the parade work for you guys? Well, for us, you know, the work that we were doing and our beliefs and where we stand is pretty much aligned with um, MLK. And we couldn't believe that there wasn't a presence already in the city, you know, being so close from Atlanta and knowing that there was a civil rights, you know, movement, movement also yeah. here. And um, so to commemorate the march that we did against the drink and General Mm -hmm. Bogards. Mm -hmm. That that year later, we brought the first Athens MLK Parade and Music Festival. 
And we were glad to do it. You know, we felt like if we're going to live in this town, we would like to try to create things in the town that we would want to see in the town that we lived in. And Did you change anything this year to, to make it I mean, um, different or I will say, a little bit more? I will, I'll go back a little bit. The first protest and rally that we organized against Joyner Bogart was on MLK Day of January 2016 on right. that date. Right. So over 500 people came. That was our first protest. And so a year later to honor that, that's how the MLK Day Parade came about. And we've just been doing it since. And it's grown. And then COVID hit. And then it went down for a little bit. But we've been continuously plugging at that event to... Um, we just It's a way of the entire... Both of our events, mo- not even both, but most of our events that we do is a way of bringing people together that usually want to be in the same space, you know? So even with the hip-hop awards, it's like we know there's other, you know, smaller hip-hop events that happen throughout the year, but the hip-hop awards bring everybody together, not just the downtown hip-hop, not just the, the, you know, the locals that are being not seen that are like, we're from here and nobody is giving us a chance. Everybody can be a part of this event, and that's the same thing with the MLK Day Parade. What do you think it's going to take to give these artists a platform to, to play? We need some serious music outlets here. Like that's given fair reporting on covering the whole music scene, not just one niche part of the music right. scene. A lot of people stir away from, um, you know, you say gangster rap or, but that's a part of hip hop too. Even if we don't like it, some people don't like it. You know, I agree. There's some talented people and their stories in that, you know, and what hip hop has done is all over the world. It's, it's international. It, people have, whether it's gangster rap or whatever, people have taken that and they've, whether they're creating their own music, they're creating dances off of it, you know. So I feel like, you know, there's pieces of it that some of us, you know, have outgrown because, you know, I've been listening to hip hop since the 90s. And um, but we still need to provide equal outlets. We need record stores to be able to have their stuff in the stores. We need radio stations, podcasts. We need the the news media reporting on it, just like our reports on anything else in this town when it comes to music. And I feel like what is it going to take is the question you ask to make sure that these artists have a platform and continuously get exposure. I feel like some of the work that's being done now is actually what it's going to take, you know, like people like ourselves. Troy pro- Aubrey. Mm-hmm. Yes, providing these stages um, and trying to encourage, you know, people like Troy and Athfest and other non-minority event producers mm-hmm. to, you know, open up spaces also. But I feel like we have to... Um, just make sure that the youth are seeing people like that looks like them out here doing this type of thing mm-hmm. to even know that mm-hmm. that's an industry. That's a space that they can go into because mm-hmm. before we came in town, they really wasn't seeing that except for like community events and things like that. But big downtown events where, you know, hundreds to thousands of people were coming down and seeing someone like yourself on that stage running that. I think that's necessary and it can inspire them to also to do more and provide more platforms. And so that's what MLK Parade does. Mm-hmm. So it, yes, it, that yes. allows those youths mm-hmm. to come in. Mm-hmm. So I think that sounds like, you know, it's going to be bigger and better every year. It's going to be crazy I mean, this year. I mean, that's what we've been focused on more, like starting last year with especially the rise in, um, I would say, gang violence. And just and it's not just in the black community. No, it's, it's happening because I hear people like, oh, no, 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 there's violence that happens in all 
culture, race, or, you know, communities, you know. But we have to do what we need to do to encourage our youth. And we, I feel like um, the black community, um, you know, could be at a disadvantage when it comes to resources and help, especially here in Athens. So we hyper-focused last year on the youth. We, all the youth can get into the parade. Like if you have a youth group, it's, there's no cost. All you, if whether your school, your organization, whether you're you're just a mom that has a youth group that's been, you know, encouraging these kids to get together, come out to the parade. You know, we give them opportunity to showcase their skills in the parade as well. At the end of the parade, if the youth groups want to perform, you know, so that's providing a platform for the youth. And we're going to continue from now on. You know, we want everybody to be a part of the parade, but we have decided since last year to work hard to make sure we have as many youth groups as possible in the parade because they're our future. And then I was going to say, that's where it needs to start. They need that space. They need to understand. They need to understand, especially now that they're taking history out of the schools and they don't want us to talk about black history or talk about even mention diversity and equity in the classroom or certain things of that sort. You know, these kids need to understand the historical aspect and, you know, Martin Luther King. Yes. He's one person that played a large role in it, but it also gives us an opportunity to teach them about the history of Athens or yeah, but guess what's who going on. MLK learned from Gandhi. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, that so that's the kind of thing we have to remember. Right. Is yeah. it wasn't just his thoughts. Right. He had teachings himself. Right. That he said this is the way we should be. Mm-hmm. Nonviolent social change. Mm-hmm. And um so I really, really respect what you're doing. And I told you uh, before this that I had interviewed Coretta Scott King once, and I got to spend some time with her a little bit longer because I knew the press secretary. But, you know, we talked about so much of this, this Mm -hmm. same type of thing. And I can't believe, God, 30 years, 35 years, we're Mm -hmm. still talking about it. And we're going to keep, we're going to have to we're keep gonna, talking about it because that's well, I when promise I promise you I'm going to keep on talking. I mean, the funny it. thing is when I jumped into activism, I really thought there was an ending. I really thought like, if we do this work, it's going to make Athens better and it's going to be okay. And then historically it's never been like that. And I think that's where the, the mistake was made. Like when the civil rights movement happened and certain laws were passed and then after um, Martin Luther King got assassinated, some people felt like, we're better now. So the, the same work that was put into those movements wasn't being put into those movements. So there was a gap between 64 and where we are now. Yeah, You know, so it's work that has to be done. Like when I'm dead and gone, there has to be another Mocha. There has to be another Noah. Or I would say another person that comes along to push the needle. I think a lot of people have been looking for a Martin Luther King mm-hmm. for a long time. And and there have been some that have tried to step into his shoes and, and done a fairly decent job. But you're right. And we're in a small town and that's where it begins. Mm-hmm. I was raised in a small town and, you know, I went through race riots. Mm-hmm. You know, I was, a, you know, a 13, 14 years old going through race riots and, and you couldn't, you know, there was fighting between the two and you couldn't walk across the field at night anymore. And, you know, somebody was going to get jumped and all these kind of things. So I've always been quite aware of it. 
And you're right, though. I never really stepped into a position of fighting for it. Mm-hmm. When I actually know about it and witnessed it and experienced it. Mm-hmm. So truly, I commend you and would like to help you in any way I can. Thank you. Um, what I really do want to talk about and just kind of get out of the intensity a little bit, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> because it can be and it should be and all of those things, but I want to talk about aquatic soul. Okay. <laughs> I mean, damn, this is a Let's music thing. Let's talk about aquatic soul. Because... I, I listened to some stuff, but I have been, been when after I met you. Mm-hmm. And even um, I saw Freeman Leverett plays with you sometimes, mm-hmm. and um, he was on the show, or the podcast, I say the show. Mm-hmm. But there's some really beautiful and funky and sweet jazz coming out of there. Mm-hmm. Well, basically, Aquatic Soul is actually the title of my first independent project that I ever released in Orlando and decided to start trying to sell my music and you know, network with my music. So I've always stuck with that name. I'm also an Aquarius, so I feel like, you know, that aquatic soul. <laughs> I don't necessarily knew what you were trying to say, but I love the name. I'm going <laughs> to yeah, I, I do. Love the name. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, um, and putting this band together, just like a lot of things that we do in town, we're, we're trying to f- fill voids. So, you know, knowing that Athens was a music town, but I didn't see a lot of um, urban bands or black bands around town. There was maybe like one band around town. And they were mostly doing book shows. And I wanted to produce a show that would, you know, bring people out. Because I know that no matter what genre you're in, you know, you probably got Muddy Waters or Jimi Hendrix on your wall or in your (sighs) record collection somewhere. Just a few. (laughs) (laughs) And I wanted to have a way to engage with our Athens and Harmony crowd more than just once a year for the fundraiser. I wanted to create something that would bring them out throughout the year. So I tried to put together a band a couple of times and it, it didn't work like that. But when I approached doing it, you know, through like, what, what do I do? The best thing I do is like, um, I do events. So let me create an event. And I had an idea to do a tribute to Isaac Hayes. And basically, um, I, I did a casting call to see musicians that might want to play in that tribute and ended up with 14 musicians, like a full horn session, violinist. Some of the artists that are doing their independent thing around town, like you said, Freeman and Annie Leith and a lot of different people have played with my band over the years. And so we did that tribute. There was probably about 40 people were in the crowd, 15 on stage. <laughs> From there, we did the, the next one. It grew to about 75 and, and it just kept growing all the way up to, to COVID. Well, we, the year of COVID 2020, I think we did a... Um, uh, Valentine's Day before before we even knew COVID was gonna hit. Yeah, yeah, it was already around, was but nobody knew what was going on. So this Several was around was February. Kind of like edgy, sick. There, I remember. Yeah, that night them, we um, was on hot toddies and, <laughs> and cough drops that night. You know. And oh yeah, and then after that, COVID came out a month later. So we were at that point. We were packed. We were gonna have to leave um, Hendershots and find another venue. And so after COVID, we ended up coming back. Was it this year or last year? I think last year we came back. I think it's and, last um, year. But they have had sold out shows. It's yeah. one of the funnest. Like if you I thought never... you had something in March of twenty twenty three. Twenty twenty three. Yeah, I did. We had Because I um, saw people dancing. Yeah, we had we've had a lot of shows. It's, I think that I mean, was a tribute to Motown that time yeah. because we had did so many of the Motown artists and then when we asked people who else they wanted to see next, we would give them a chance to put in a bucket who they wanted to see us do a tribute to next. 
And it was so many people came up. We just decided to just do a Motown show and, and mix all the artists. Oh, yeah, they did a mixture. But that show was so much fun. I love that show. I love his show. So it's a they micro were, version of the work that we do. My I group love, was the I only mixed band. I love that idea. Band. I had an artist that I distributed. Oh, my gosh, his name is, is Calvin. Um, R&B artist? Yeah, but Richardson? He, yes. <laughs> Calvin Richardson. She told you I'm like your husband. Oh, my gosh. Because he's a historian. He but, loves... He so Calvin music. and I worked together a long... Uh, a while. He was Angie Stone's artist. Well, yeah. Mm. And oh, and wow. I have a very funny story about him, and I'll tell you offline. But <laughs> he came out with um, the artist across 110th Street. Mm -hmm. um, Lonnie... No. Oh, my gosh. Mac? Lonnie Mac? I'm not you know, familiar with that across one. Across 110th Street. I remember that song. Um, I, I, I'm embarrassed that I don't remember the guy's name right now. Yeah, look that up. I'm going to look it up real quick. <laughs> so Tell I told Calvin that when he did this in-store, I said, I am going to kiss you <laughs> for this album because it is so good. <laughs> and that is what you're doing, <laughs> is exactly what he did. And he has a incredible voice, and yes, I, yes. I have not seen him in, or talked to him in years. I actually tried to get a hold of him, I think, last year to see how he was doing. He's doing great right now, actually. He's um, you know, about <laughs> the southern soon, the southern soul music scene. That's a that's like yes. a, a new blues genre or something. Yeah. That, that has taken off over the last did, did ten he, years. So he's been getting booked in that network now. Did he stop taking his clothes off? I don't know. I, don't, I haven't. God. I haven't seen that thing. God. Uh, <laughs> I, I went to see him in Alabama one night, which is kind of the funny story. Funny. But I walk in and he's got his shirt off, and the girls are throwing things up on the stage. I'm yeah. like Calvin. He's probably still doing that. Dude. He's oh, probably still doing gosh. that. Him and genuine probably. <laughs> That's funny. The the song that I think 110th Street, I think Bobby Womack. Bobby Womack. Oh, that's what it was. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Lonnie Mack is a country artist. Historic <laughs> music historian. Yes. Get on your stuff. Yeah. No, Bobby Womack. <laughs> and I have that album. Yeah. That that all came from. Mm -hmm. That made me go back and listen to it, but he did a spectacular job with it. And I think that's a perfect thing, but I think you should also show your original stuff always mm -hmm. because you have to show people who where your creativity comes from. Yes. And we basically took a pause in order to do that. We've been working on original material oh, and just getting it ready for to present to the audience. And we should be doing that before the spring of this year. I'm hoping February that he releases something because Noah, when people don't see him out and about in the community, he is constantly in the studio working on music, producing music, writing music different types of music. <laughs> so I'm hoping that now that he's taking a pause and focus on completing his album, so he's working on his album and then he's going to have other songs that people can um, feature on. I want him to put, I'm saying I want, I want him to produce the album, you know, with people that can sing some of the songs that he's written. So I'm hoping that will be released sometime soon. And I'm working on a reggae album too as well. Very, very good. You're from Jamaica, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Bob Marley country, of course. Mm -hmm. I just have to mention this because I'm so proud of her. And I, I'm going to give you the book. Mm -hmm. My sister released a book on Bob Marley last year. Oh, really? It's called Rasta Time. And she's lived in Japan almost her whole adult life and India. She's a very spiritual person. Bob Marley was her god almost. Mm -hmm. And she ended up 
1979 when she she was in Japan, I think, a couple of years. Nobody really knew Bob Marley that well in Japan. And she, her sponsor was the Japan Lifetimes, and she said, I want to go to this concert. I want to write about this man. Mm-hmm. Japan needs to know about this music. Mm-hmm. And she had gone to a concert in Kansas where we went to school. Um, we went, all three of us, my twin and I and her, went to L- University of Kansas. Mm-hmm. And so she had gone to a concert, never forgot it, and, you know, listened and listened all the time. She, I won't go into the whole book, but I'll tell you how it started. She went to this concert with all her articles and stuff to show them that she was, you know, official. official. (laughs) She is a very spiritual dancer and has to move to music. She's in the aisle of this in Osaka dancing. They come up to her and tell her, you can't do this. You have to go back to your seat. She goes, no, no, no. I'm, 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 pray- I'm. Pray- it's like praying to my God, mm-hmm. you know. No, I, I, no, thank you. So they go get manager. They come back, and they say, "Ma'am, you have got to go back to your seat." And they're kind of rustling her around a little bit. Bob sees it, and he says, "I think it is time to sing, stand up." Mm-hmm. And then Kathy yells in Japanese and I don't remember the words, stand up for your rights. Mm -hmm. The whole auditorium stands up while he's singing this song. (laughs) That's right. She goes backstage to see if she can talk to him. Out comes this white roadie and says, are you the dancer? And she says, yes. Bob wants to meet you. Yeah. Come on in. She ended up traveling with him for eight days on his bus. What? This is 1979. It's a beautiful, beautiful book. The <laughs> publishing could be better, but she is really wanted to see this book published. And I'm going to give you that book. Thank you. I, would I have one it. at home. So she got eight days to spend with Bob Marley on the this road. This to- book is about her interview. Wow, that's nice. And then she also interviewed... Gilly and all these other people that were his supporters, his confidants, his mm-hmm. meal preparations. So I'm, I have to give you this book. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate That's that. That's incredible. Yeah. And, you know, there's other books, you know, and, and music and all the kinds of things. There's always stuff. It took Kathy. She, she wrote the book in Japanese first. Mm-hmm. She had the rights to do it there. It took her I don't know how many years, probably 10 at least, to to get it published in the United States. But here's the most incredible thing about this. This interview was lost for th- almost 40 years. Mm. She thought she it was stolen. Mm-hmm. She found it in a box when they were moving somewhere. Her husband came up to her and said, you need to check these tapes out. I don't know what they are. And it's the interview. So she got live tapes. So she got live tapes of it. Ooh, we. That's the next publication. I I, I get a little teary-eyed because it's, when I read the book, I didn't even know a lot of these things that happened on this thing and about my sister. Mm -hmm. Because she's been overseas, you know, in another world Mm -hmm. my whole adult life. So it's a beautiful book. Wow. So on that note. (laughs) (laughs) I'm excited. I'm excited to read the book. So look forward to it. 
when you dream of the future, and I'm going to put this to you first, mm-hmm. what what bright stars shape that dream, and, and or do you kind of keep the little dipper in sights, or are you going for the big Uriah and the Ursa the beer, and you know? Wow, that's a good question. That's a good question because my dad passed in 2020 when I was running for office. And I set goals. I always have goals that I set and they're so far out. And I have the, you know, nickname overachiever. And so my visions and goals are traditionally big. But where I am in life right now, especially after 2020, is really trying to enjoy the present moment where I'm at. And because you can miss certain things when you're looking so far ahead in the future. So gratitude is what I'm really practicing right now, being grateful, being mindful of the things that's around me. Ultimately, I would love to see a world where there's more opportunities for underserved communities, where the youth, you know, there's no poverty. You know, people shouldn't be sleeping out on the streets right now in the cold where people have resources to food. So that's like a huge, like for everyone to be fed, everyone to have shelter, for our youth to have equal opportunity when it comes to like college education, when it comes to medical, you know, your life. It's just so much that I've learned after jumping in politics that I understand why people suffer more now and where it's sometimes out of people control. So I would like to limit the, the amount of suffering that people have and have access to more resources so that they can be empowered and live their their fullest life and feel good about life. And um, if we look at where we're at right now, there's a lot. I think suicide rates are higher. Depression is higher. And we need to really ask why that is. You know, um, what is it about our culture right now that is not having people feel fulfilled and understanding that they have greatness in them. All of us on this planet have a unique gift, I believe, to offer and to contribute. That truly could be one whole podcast. <laughs> so, <laughs> because uh, yeah. it gets to me, to, those questions get to me too. Yeah, so we can live such a, a better life, but there's so much things that keeps us divided that the individualism thing comes into where you feel like you just have to take care of you and your family or, you know, see my vision, like what I would want to see is so big. So I just practice gratitude, trying to be grateful now, do what I can to help, even if it's one person, because I understand me helping that one person, it them being able to better themselves, mean better than their family, mean better than possibly their children like me. So that one person... So just being grateful for that. So if I can make small differences in my life each day, plus being grateful and understanding that I'm loved, you know what I mean? Feeling loved, being happy to be alive, to be happy to be um, to wake up. We miss out on those things. We miss out on the fact that we're here. And every time you wake up, you have another chance to do something great and leave the past. It really is in the past, but what matters is me and you sitting at this table right now and being grateful for that and being able to share this space. I agree. I have a saying that um, don't look back, you're not going that way. Mm -mm. And that's something we have to learn. What about you, Noah? Pretty much that same 
I'm at the same place. You know, I'm always um, just trying to be present, be grateful. I believe that um, we always have to keep space for the unknown and what the universe wants us to be doing. So I, I always, I look at it like 30% of the situation is my choice, 70% is the universe, you know, what the universe wants. I'm with you on that. I'm always saying, ask, believe, and receive. Mm-hmm. Yes, and mm-hmm. just being open and, you know, I believe in being prepared when opportunity knocks. So I spend a lot of time being prepared for things that I don't even know that might come. And um, that's pretty much it. Just, you know. I can't, I think you guys have said it great, <laughs> actually. And I'm I'm kind of like that, too. You know, I know you guys do a lot of other things, but, mm-hmm. you know, going to try and bring this to a stop right now so that we can, I can absorb mm-hmm. everything that we've talked about today because it's, yeah, it's deep, but it's also right here, right in front of our mm-hmm. faces. It's looking us straight in the eye of what's going on, and it's hard to see sometimes. So I think that it's a good time to just end our conversation yes, and say thank you, thank you, thank you for being on. I hope everybody goes to this parade Mm -hmm. and experiences it and enjoys it and sees the beauty of it. And the date is January the 15th in Athens and Harmony. If you've never experienced Athens and Harmony, I I swear to you, this is one of the best events in the city. And this is an event that this one night, Athens really lives up to be what it wants to be. You had to reschedule it, right? So yeah, what's the new date? we had to reschedule. January 14th, the day before MLK Day Parade is Athens in Harmony. Yes. So, so we MLK can, weekend. Yeah, MLK ready. weekend. We have <laughs> oh my gosh. a nice That's when I leave. Plan. I leave January 13th. Aww. I'm now really very sad about that. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yes. But if you're in town, don't miss it. And then but we're exactly. going to be on MLK Day. We have amazing parade and amazing free concert for everybody. Mm-hmm. Artists from Athens, Atlanta, different areas are coming here to um, celebrate MLK Day with us. If you are listening, please go out and support these events. I promise you, you will not be sorry. Thank you so much. Thank you for having Thank us. Thank you for having us. Two jobs and it ain't enough Getting no sleep is tough Working all week for crumbs It's making my feelings numb I got plans but it's taking too long Cause now we need another place 